you can get bogged down with like trying to make so much content. You can equally get bogged down with like trying to be everywhere. You're listening to Content Logistics, a podcast for B2B marketers looking to build a content engine that drives revenue. In each episode, Camille Trent interviews the marketers behind the best content marketing flywheels and uncovers the tactical aspects of content production from first draft to first customer. Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of Content Logistics. I'm your host, Camille Trent, and this episode is brought to you by my good friends, Tristan and Justin at Motion. So I've been wanting to launch a podcast like this for a while, and I would not have been able to do it by myself. And so thanks to their expertise, this is actually happening. So my first guest is Justin Simon. He's the global SEO and content lead at TechSmith. So if you've ever heard of Snagit or Camtasia, those are both TechSmith products. Very good ones. I use one of them. So Justin, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, glad to be here. Awesome. So we met uh, a few months ago, and I think I found you through your LinkedIn content. And what stood out about it was there, there's all sorts of content marketers that are talking about content and talking about SEO and how they make the content and how they make more of the content. What was different about your approach was, why don't we just take the content we already have because we built up so much content, we're, we're in this hamster wheel of content. Why don't we take the content that we have and we find better ways to redistribute it or just refresh it, right? And so that was that was the thing that stood out to me about you and kind of what we started connecting on. And so I just wanted to to talk through that. So first off, if you can tell everyone a little bit more about your role at, at TechSmith and you know what, what uh, you're responsible for, and then we can go into those questions. Yeah, absolutely. So I... I run the content team at TechSmith that, and really run content strategy as a larger portion of my role. I have a small team, both full-time and interns, and we are sort of responsible for, like I said, all of the content we create. So um, that is everything from blog posts to YouTube videos to lead gen pieces to any and all social content. All of that stuff is housed under my team, and, and we've been doing that for a couple of years now. It's super fun. Okay, awesome. And then so I know that you guys sell to B2C because it's it's your products are very focused on uh, creators, right? Do you guys also sell to B2B? Yep, yep. We uh, we definitely sell within enterprises and have lots of lots of people across all different size companies from small businesses to large enterprises in the Fortune 500 that use our use our products. Okay, okay, interesting. So so this will be fun cuz you you can really talk to that B2C part, the B2B part. Like it's a good case study for all content marketers out there. So so let's talk about like one of the first posts that I that I saw. It was basically this decision tree of when do you need to create new content versus refresh your old content, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like like very simple um, in theory and then very hard to execute as as all content marketers can relate with. So how do you know when it's time to create new content versus refresh old content? Yeah, I think there's um, there's this ever-growing sort of dichotomy and difference between what's working and versus what you think you need to do as a content marketer. And if we really looked at, and that's kind of where, and I put that stuff out there mainly to challenge myself just as much as to challenge other people on LinkedIn. But, you know, as as I had started to grow our team and understand what we were doing and you know, as I start becoming responsible for what people are doing and what we're working on and how that actually impacts the business, you do, you start to try to really focus on what's actually working. And I just came to the realization that we were trying to create, create, create so much and that what wasn't always moving the needle. And so I would ask those questions of like, why? Like, do I act, do we really need to be creating new content all the time? And then what happens to all this or yeah, new content? And then what happens to all the old stuff that we have? Like, did that suddenly go stale? Is it suddenly bad content? And so we actually made it like, dedicated effort to like look back at our old content and see what was performing and what was actually converting and then re-update all that content. And so it doesn't sound uh, super sexy. It doesn't sound fun and new and, hey, we're going to put out this giant new ultimate guide or we're going to go do this and that. Um, As far as like the typical content marketing side, it sounds boring to say, yeah, we're going to put a lot of effort into updating old blogs. Like that sounds so boring, but then after like a 10 week span and you start to see the results pour in, you're, 
it just became so clear that it's like, nope, that's what we need to be doing from now on. Yeah. So how did those results compare to what you were doing before? Right. Like, cause before you're just doing the content creation, I assume you're on some yeah. sort of calendar. So kind of what were those results that you're seeing that were so surprising? I mean, they were, they were pretty astronomical results in terms of like increase in page views. And, and the reason it starts to make sense when you break it down, because we took already well-performing posts that were just stale. And so, you know, maybe they were at one time ranking one, two, three, and now we're ranking four, five, six, or they were, you know, showing up for X amount of keywords and now they're showing up for a few less. And so it's like, okay, what, what does it take for to, and times change, what does it take to make something that was relevant in 2019, relevant in 2021? A lot of things have changed. And so just to refresh that content, re-update it, tell Google, hey, we updated this nice new content. You should go check it out. So yeah, it, it was like, you know, so apparent after we did it, that I was like, why weren't we doing this before? Because it was so effective. Okay, Justin. So, so there's benefits to both, right? To creating new content, you know, being up on what's current and then to updating the content that you already had. And so you'd kind of said before of like that zero to one is so, so hard. And so most of the time it makes sense to just look at what you already have. Right. So, so tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, and it, it all depends on where you're at. So like a company like TechSmith, we have a pretty big reservoir of the content that we're able to pull from. So we've been creating content for years and years and years on, on our blog. So if you don't have a giant reservoir, like maybe not, but, but even so, like I was thinking about this yesterday, if you created one piece a week in 2020, you would now have 52 pieces of content that you can go update. And a lot of companies are putting out at least one piece of content a week in some way, shape or form. And so I think, yeah, the ability to go back and say, I've already put a huge amount of thought, most likely into the strategy of previous pieces of content. That strategy didn't go away. Those are still the same users that I want to engage. And so how can I take that existing content and make it better and and maximize the attention that's already there or the demand that's already there coming in for that particular piece of content? Yeah. So, so this is going to be interesting for people that, you know, are maybe at smaller startup companies and, and don't have that backlog of content. So at what point, you know, should they audit their content? Do you think that you need like a year's worth of content, like you're saying before uh, you start exploring like this, this avenue, or is it is it sooner than that? Yeah, I mean, it, it probably depends. I mean, you, you typically want to be always looking at if the less content they have, you have the easier it is to manage. So I've, I have 20 posts, I it's pretty easy for me to kind of go through those 20, see where they're ranking, see how much traffic they're getting, and then pick maybe the one or two from there. The more you get the harder, harder it becomes to manage. But I think at a minimum, it's a great exercise at the end of maybe a Q4 to go through in maybe the slow period before the holidays begin and just start auditing your content and saying, okay, what needs a refresh heading into Q1 you know, of the next year and try to frame that out. It's, it's just a, an easy way to kind of frame that up if, you know, if you don't have the, the amount or the want to, to do it every, you know, three, six month on a quarterly basis to go in at least once a year and check out your content and make sure that it's up to date. Yeah, you know, I like that approach for a few different reasons because as a content leader, you should also be showing what you've done for that year, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're already, you already should be auditing the content and saying, these are the results that we've seen. You know, this is quantitative, this is qualitative. And so you're assessing what we've already done, but then you're taking that data and you're saying, okay, based on this, like now I can make decisions for the next year. And, and, you know, by the next year, you want to be hitting the ground running, right? And so being able to take all of that and use that like for your decision making, I think is really smart. And then the other thing that you said that I kind of wanted to go back over on is you said that you look at well-performing content first, right? And so I look at that as kind of like the low-hanging fruit rather than like trying to, again, maybe not take something from zero to one, but mm -hmm. take it from like 0 0.01 <laughs> to one is going to still be harder. And so is that how you look at it? Are you saying, okay, this is this is going to be the easiest thing, you know, for us to move across the line. And so you you go from things that are already performing well. And by already performing well, are you thinking, you know, page one rankings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, I mean, usually, if, if I go through our and look at our, our list of content, there's usually, yeah, there's usually either page one rankings, or there's a couple different ways you can think about it. So you can think about it, yeah, I want to take and maximize all of my stuff that's, you know, page one, and then how do I, you know, improve that. And then there's like, you know, if you've already, maybe you've got the number one listing, 
but we we all know like SERPs, right? And they're crowded and they're a mess. You have ads, you have YouTube videos, you have this, you have that. So it's like, okay, I rank number one, but I'm like way down the page. Why? <laughs> like, why is my click-through rate so low and I rank number one? So what are the other factors that we can do? Okay, maybe we can make a YouTube video that'll accompany that topic. Okay, cool. Now I just gained more space in the SERP. So like there's ideas like that to like maximize from a content perspective. But then yeah, absolutely. Next level stuff is like looking at depending on what your goal set is. So if you have a top of funnel piece where you want to try to get people in, maybe check out your product or check out maybe a a content upgrade piece or something along those lines, you know, making sure you have goals set up around that and analytics to be able to track that and say like, oh, okay, yeah, like my conversion rates or my click throughs and conversion rates from this piece to this piece is X. How do I get more of that? Um, cause there's two ways you're going to increase. You're going to either bring in more people into that, or you can take the existing people who are coming in and convert them at a higher rate. Right. And so to, to make that decision, do you just decide, okay, we're already getting a lot of traffic here. We mm-hmm. need to increase conversions. And then if you're not at that traffic level, you're like, I need to bring them. I need to bring it to X traffic before I work on conversions. Or is it, I just need to work on conversions either way i mean for us it was like we're gonna do it all if we're gonna try to update that piece so we're gonna try to make it more educational and more informative for the people who are trying to get in so get more people rank for more keywords if possible and then what are those things and sometimes it's not even within the the post or the blog or the article itself it's things downstream that affect whether or not somebody downloads is the landing page that they get on after it effective is the download page they get on after being effective. And there's different things that we've done to sort of test around that as well. But it's not always just the single piece of content that's going to drive that. Okay, awesome. So your checklist basically is looking at full funnel, like full funnel content refresh, right? So what yep. are those kind of uh, checkpoints like along the way when you audit content, what things are you looking for and what things stand out as bad or at least not optimal? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's 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 a lot. It depends on the actual article. So some are very, very, you know, they're already solution aware. They're looking to solve a problem. It's like problem answer blog post article. I need to do X, Y, and Z. The blog post title is how to do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> you know, so it's very simple. And those are much more transactional, typically on those terms. If somebody's looking to do something and we can help you solve that, cool. Like that's, that's awesome. And so the idea there is, is not to like bog down the post necessarily. It's actually to get them the information as fast as we can versus another post that's maybe up top funnel. That's more, more what you would consider like an ultimate guide or like the higher level piece that you're going to sort of inform and go through. And one of the things that we've been doing on ours, it's, it sounds simple, but it's one of our main checklists is like, what comes next? So what I've been telling my team is what comes before. So these are our checklists. What comes before, which in our world is like, how do people get there? And the answer is either two things. It's going to be SEO or it's going to be some sort of push internally, email, social, et cetera, et cetera. But if we don't have, if we don't know that going in, then why are we creating a piece of content? You know, if we don't expect it to rank and we're not going to send anybody to it, why are we making it? Which I think a lot. You don't have any way to distribute (laughs) it, right? Um, I don't think anybody, you know, there's a lot of content that gets made without asking that question. And then there's a lot of content that gets made without asking the next question was what comes next. So you read this, what comes next? Are we sending them to a product? Are we giving them a free content upgrade? Are we like, how, how do we keep them there? How do we keep them interested now that we've helped them answer the question that they originally came for? Yeah, no, I I love that. It's like, it's two things, but it's basically, do we have a go to market plan for this? Right. Yep. (laughs) Do we have a way to get this in front of the eyeballs that care about this content? Yeah. And then where where are we going to go from there? Right. Like, is, is it just a dead end or is there another way to open up this conversation, take it further? Yeah, totally. And and that's the thing is like a lot of older content, like for us, we have, we have posts from like 2014, 2013, like we have some old posts that are in there. And so like, that was not how blogging worked eight years ago, (laughs) you know, six, seven years ago, blogging was, I'm going to write a post, right? It's just, there wasn't that forethought put into it. Like there is, like there is today. And so we might have a post that, you know, was ranking really high for some obscure term, but was like really successful. And there was never the forethought put in about what comes next. And so it's like, oh, easy, five minutes, add add a, a download link to a product. Sweet. Now we're converting at X percent. It's amazing. Right. And that, so you're saying that next thing can just be your product a lot of the times, right? Yeah. 
And so to kind of walk through and tell me if this is wrong, but to kind of walk through like what, and I hate this word, but like a funnel, like might look like for, for your guys's content is you you might have some ultimate guides or some lengthier in-depth content. That's, that's like, you know, how to create a video that's very basic, but right. And so like very top level, you know, how to create a video. And then uh, you'll have other like supporting content that's kind of that next step that might not be as long um, or comprehensive, but it's meant to answer someone's very more specific problem of like, how do I do a screen capture, screen capturing for free or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? And then you might say, okay, so for this, they're wanting a video, like their intent is a video, but you know, to make sure that we're optimizing for the SERP, we might also put that video in a blog post, you know, then it supports it. And we're also able to do the walkthrough steps. So you have this very like specific content that solves their problem. And they're also farther down the funnel, like where they, they're looking for something actionable in those, in that search. Right. And so like, it makes sense for that next to be, okay, well, you can download this tool, like this, our product that actually does this for you. And like, we have these instructions on exactly how to use it, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're being helpful, but the solution, the best solution that you're providing is your product, right? And it seems very simple, but also it just makes sense, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're answering somebody's question. And so I love that that framework of just kind of like one, two, three. And clarifying that not everything has to be an ultimate guide, right? Not everything has to be 6,000 words, right? So like with with that type of content, like, do you guys see good traffic and rankings from those shorter posts, those how-to posts? And is that YouTube or Google? Yeah, I mean, it's sometimes... Sometimes the answer is both YouTube and Google. It depends if we have the, the supporting video for it or not. But yeah, I mean, we've been shocked at some of the, I've been personally shocked at some of the some of the results because I think there was I mean, there was a push in content marketing. There was a lot of data around like, you know, if you wanted some of the rank, it's got to be 2000 words at least. So then everybody's making these gargantuan guides and, and all these things. But yeah, if you're trying to create a piece of content that's just going to answer somebody's question, it's actually much more user-friendly. And I think this is why Google ends up rewarding these things in the end to get a 600 word post that answers what I want right now versus me having to like, okay, dig down where, okay, do they have a table of contents that can link to the actual thing that I want? Oh, nope, they don't. Let me scroll, 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 scroll to find what I was actually looking for buried in that thing. And I think both can support each other. I think that's another thing from a content side. You can create the ultimate guide, but then take your ultimate guides and break out those all those sections you had into individual articles that then Google can rank on. So if you've got a section within that that speaks to a very specific topic, expand on a little bit more. Maybe you've only got 200 words in the section, but you can expand on that and create its own individual thing. But yeah, I mean, it's super, it is, it's super simple. I just said this to somebody this morning because somebody on my team was like, it just sounds so simple. We were talking about something else. I was like, yeah, it's simple, but it's not easy because it's it's hard to, to implement sometimes and, and get rolling. But yeah, if, if you have a podcast app, let's say you want or you have something that somebody wants to record a podcast, it makes no sense for you to expand your your nurture any longer than it needs to be. Because if I've come there and I'm looking to record a pod and you don't big old box in your blog post. We have the best tool to help you do because, you know, you don't need to bury it. Like tell, tell them, tell them how to, how to get the tool. You help solve it, download it today. It's free to most, you know, it's free to try, get them in. Cause then you most likely have a nurture series hooked up to your trial or you have some sort of email thing hooked up to your trial that you can then use to move them along. It's not like they're gone. Right. And and yeah, to your point, I think if, the content that you're creating is around high intent, right? And is around people that actually do want the solution and, and are in the market for your product, then it's not annoying, right? It's only yeah. annoying like if it's not relevant. And so I, I like 1, that. I, I like that. And I it just dawned on me, I think last week I was listening to another podcast and it was Dr. Fio, I think probably me, me might have seen her mm-hmm. stuff on LinkedIn, but her whole thing is basically product-led SEO or product-led content. And she said multiple times, you don't have to bury your product. Like it makes sense to incorporate your product throughout. It's Mm -hmm. not a a totally separate 
content entity, like the, the purpose is, is still to drive business and to sell your product. And so why shy away from it when it makes sense, like in the story, and it should make sense in the story. If you're focusing um, on that kind of intersection of here's our product and like, here are the things that we can solve with that product, right? It'll naturally come up and it won't feel, it won't feel forced. So, okay. So, so this has been great. And just like talking through that framework and how to think through content at different stages of the funnel. The other thing that I think content marketers can get bogged down with is channels, right? And so you're like, how do I create now this type of structure in each of the channels? And so how do you guys think about that at TechSmith Mm -hmm. um, in prioritizing which channels you're going to focus on? Yeah. Are you, are you talking about specifically like, you know, social email, et cetera, like that? Yeah. So it can be, yeah. Social Mm -hmm. email, SEO, brand content sales. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an ever evolving thing for us. It's, it's something that's constantly changing. You know, I tell Jesse who runs our social, I'm like, sorry, like we're changing the social strategy again, you know, or (laughs) Hey, I've got a weird idea that we need to kind of look into and figure out. But I think, that is that is so true it's it's just just as like you can get bogged down with like trying to make so much content you can equally get bogged down with like trying to be everywhere so like we'll take me for example here there's a whole bunch of people uh, on the individual side on linkedin that also do twitter i don't i don't do twitter at all like i just can't i can't like it's enough for me to just do linkedin <laughs> and i can't right. do you know or i and i know there's a whole bunch of people that are also doing tiktok and also like doing youtube and also like that's awesome. But I think what the biggest thing that I've started to learn, and, and again, I think even individual like LinkedIn learnings can, can pull into business as well in a lot of ways for people because it's not that different. Just like I can't do everything, like I can't expect my team to be able to do everything either and do everything well. And I would rather do like two channels really, really well or three channels really, really well than try to be everywhere and it fall apart because that's what will yeah. happen. So would you say, tell, tell me if I'm wrong with this, but just from what I've observed, like that that is probably organic search, YouTube, which is also searchable mm-hmm. and also Google and like LinkedIn at the moment. And then you guys also have the podcast too. So those mm-hmm. are kind of like the, the main pillars that I'm seeing. Is that, does that kind of like line up? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and again, like I said, it's ever evolving. We're trying to figure that out because I mean, we also have, you know, we do webinars every month. We do like we have a lot of stuff going on. And so I think that's one of the things for us is trying to figure out. Yeah, we have a pot. We have a podcast. We have a weekly video show that ties into it. We've got YouTube content that goes out, blog posts that go out every week. So we're putting out a bunch of stuff. And I think that's one of the fun challenges as a content marketer is to say, how do I get that in front of people? And I think that's another huge gap and and it's a, a gap for me too, is like the assumption and it ties back into old content, but like everybody sees what we do and the answer is like 0.000.1% see what you do, you know? And so, yes, you might've posted it on one social platform one time, but that also means, man, you should send an email and you should also put it on YouTube and you should also get it over here if you can. I think the, the smartest thing that, that I've seen happen from a content side is taking less, less big pillars. So, you know, we've got a podcast, webinars, et cetera, like taking those and then break, try to break those out to their maximum capacity versus like, let's try to do all of the things for at all the time. It's just becomes impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that this is basically a stage like two of just your brand and how you think through content. So like, first, like refresh what you have and like make Mm -hmm. sure that you can get something going, like something really working. And by working, we don't mean traffic. We mean, let's get it all the way across the line. Let's get actual customers from this, right? And not until then do you kind of go into this next phase of, okay, well, we have, we still have a lot of content and we've kind of like maximized, maximized a lot of it, but there, there are ways that we can repurpose it and make it Mm -hmm. into a completely new thing, like a completely fresh thing. So how, how do you think through that? And how do you keep those fresh? Like, how how do you Mm -hmm. keep it from, from sounding boring? Or is it just the fact that not, you just know that not everyone has seen it? Yeah. I mean, I think depending on what it is, like, I just know not everybody's seen it. And also they might not have seen it in that format. So for instance, we had, we've had a blog forever. We did original research on like the best, like a whole bunch of video stats around, you know, how long should your videos be all that type of stuff. And so we had a blog post for a long time. That was how long should your video be? And then we just did a podcast episode about video length. 
And then we just did a webinar about video length. And we're going to put, you know, and we put the podcast episode on YouTube. And, and so now you've got not just one thing where you're talking about video length, but you have four or five things where you're talking about video length, all in different formats. And I think that's the other thing to be cognizant of as a content creator is, you know, you might want to watch this video on YouTube or maybe not, or you might want to listen to it on a podcast or maybe not, or you might want to read the blog post or you might want to read the full research. I can't guarantee that what you want to do. Okay. So we've talked quite a bit just about frameworks and when, when you update content, when you refresh content. Uh, so let's talk about how we actually get this done in a team setting. So just talk through kind of your current content team, you know, who might be doing creation uh, in different mediums and then who's helping you with distribution. Yeah. So we, so for our content team, we have a group of writers, which mainly handle our blog, but they also do a lot of the social side from the actual content creation bit of it. And we have a content intern as well who helps us out there. And then we have a couple of video folks who are full-time and do a lot of our, our video stuff. And then we also have full, a full-time social media uh, manager and then uh, a couple social media interns as well. So really our content team is housed around creating written content, video content, and then promoting and distributing all of that across from the social side, organic social. Okay. So distribution is mostly social. It sounds like do you, <laughs> but you guys do some email as well. I think. Oh, yeah. 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 We, I mean, our team, again, we're the way we're set up, we have a, a decently sized marketing team. And so we have other people who handle email. We collaborate with them. We have other people who handle brand specific stuff and promotions and all of that stuff. And so we work and do the webinars. And so we work with them. And it's a it's a pretty collaborative effort as far as that goes. Okay. And then SEO is obviously kind of a it's a distribution channel as well, right? Yep. So totally. You yep. do it right. You do the creation, and it should distribute itself, right? So yep. those are kind of like the main forms of distribution. Okay. And so then, so there's this kind of eighty twenty rule that that always pops up uh, on social media, and you get a lot of people rallying around it, and it's basically this push against creating a lot of content and not not having any strategy for what to do with it. And so they'll say, you know you'll spend 20% of your time creating content and then you should spend the, the other 80% on distribution. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. What are your thoughts on that 80-20 that rule and how do you think about it? I think it's not actually something anybody does. <laughs> if I was being, or anybody that I've talked to, just because I don't, or maybe they don't talk about it. I'll, I'll say that. Right. But I, I think I don't, I actually don't think anybody spends 20% of the time creating content and 80% of their time distributing. I just don't believe that. And I think it, you know, we, we, we stretched really, really hard into distribution over the last 10 weeks. And I mean, even we found it was like, you know, man, we got to convince ourselves to like put some effort into distribution and what that looks like, because it just didn't feel like, oh man, is this what we should be doing? Cause we were so used to like, what we should be doing is creating new content is updating old content, which we should, but I think what you said is interesting there where it's, you know, yeah, you should be thinking about the distribution, even in this from a strategic level. Like that's where I love to live is like, what's the strategy behind? What's the plan to get to where you want to go? Because if you're not even thinking about how that thing is going to work afterward, then I, I just, it's just a waste of time. Like it's, it's, I talked about this on LinkedIn a couple weeks ago, but like hope is not a strategy. Like, I'm not going to take this piece of content and just hope it works. Right. Like, there's got to be a plan. And again, that plan might be like, we're going to send an email to this list. We're going to put it out on social on this platform, this platform, this platform, these many times, this many times. But one of the things we've been doing to try to like get to a spot where it becomes a little bit more formulaic is doing what we've called like distro docs. We're calling them distro docs, but like a distribution doc. So understanding like... And again, this is nothing fancy. It's a Google Doc with like, we're going to post on Facebook. We're going to post on LinkedIn. We're going to post on like, and then writing out the posts and then they're available. Like it's nothing fancy, but it's like right. at least knowing ahead of time to say like, okay, for this blog, I'm going to come out of it with as much of that orange juice squeezed out of that orange as I possibly can. And then I'm going to schedule that out and see what happens. And what you're going to find is after you do two blogs, four blogs, five blogs, and you pull out all the good content out of that. And then you figure out and you'd like even just faux schedule it. You're going to get six months worth of content off of like 10 blog posts. 
Yeah. Because, and you'll realize, holy smoke, like I don't need to have 52 blogs in a year. I don't need to, I can, but I don't need to, like I can actually, you know, if I'm properly distributing the content and the ideas, man, I might only need 15. Yeah. So, I mean, that was going to be kind of like a, a next question is like, how do you make sure that you don't go too far on distribution where, where you don't, you don't have enough new content that you're producing or have you, have you not even like, like approached that yet? Haven't gotten there. And I think you won't know. And every, every business is different. Every team's different. So I'll preface that with all of this is unique to, to your situation and your, and you will not know what's going to work until you do it and you execute on it. So, and, and do it for a long period of time and long could be, you know, two months, but like it's, you know, don't do it for two weeks and say, Hey, I didn't get any traffic on the social content because the other thing is your distribution channels could be wrong. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe, you know, posting on Instagram organic where you're not going to get any views anyway is the bad choice. So like you have to be smart in terms of what you're actually doing there and what your expectations are going in. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a unique scenario for each company and trying to figure out what you're going to do. But no, I think the answer is I haven't found any sort of detriment to it. And I think one of the benefits, even internally, that happens when you when you create less content, is you you stay on message, you you stay you repeat yourself, you repeat the messages you want your customers to know over and over and over again because you're just refreshing and saying the same content, and you're not, you know, trying to be like, oh well, I already said that two blogs ago. I got to say something different. I got to you know, oh, I already wrote that type of article. I got to write something else. It's like, no, you don't like, you can just talk, you don't have to feel forced to like pigeonhole yourself in a situation where you're feeling like you got to create something new. Yeah. I think that that is really hard for content marketers. Cause I think if it's you, if you're the one that's creating the content, it feels so repetitive. You feel like you're beating a dead horse, but the mm -hmm. reality is that, you know, not all of your audience has seen that content or it hasn't hit them in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things you st that stood out to me that you said earlier was they might not have seen it in like the format that's best for them. Right. And so mm -hmm. like they might be aware of the blog post They might be even aware of like the video or they've seen it come across, but it just held no interest for them. But then they see, you know, this Venn diagram that kind of like encapsulates like the blog post. And I'm using that example because we did this the other day. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a totally different thing. And this was a blog post that, that I had I had written. And then somebody else had looked at it, created this different, you know, form of it in a social post that that was that was fun and that different types of people engaged with, right? Mm -hmm. And so you you get the same people that engage with the first one, and then you get kind of like this new group of people that wouldn't have ever engaged with the other one. So it's kind of like this compounding effect on one side. And then you're also bringing like new people kind of like into, into the fold with, with that type of content. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, you know, what those distribution docs do, or if you sit down and you actually take one, like I would challenge people, take the last blog post or to, or to go back and like pull from my maximizer hat, like take your best blog post that you have and look at all the, the angles in there. There's probably tons of different angles and tidbits and things that, you know, one sentence could lead to five or six tweets. One one sentence or one paragraph could lead to 10 LinkedIn posts that, it, yeah. you know, just depending on what it is. And so if you, and that's kind of what I get at where it's like, you're really not spending 80 time, any 80% 80 of your time on distribution. Like, because you can get so, you can get so much more out of the content and, you know, same with us, you know, same with all, all of us. Like we can get so much more out of the content than we actually are. Yeah. So, so one other challenge I'll bring up too is as somebody who's worked on like the long form side of it, but then also worked on the distribution side of it, you get to this fun, but kind of stressful place of having too much content to distribute. And so how do you make sure that your audience like, isn't, isn't fatigued, like not mm -hmm. necessarily by the content, like we're talking about, but just the frequency of how many, how much you're posting. Right. Because we got yep. to a point where, there's endless amounts of things that I could post per day, but it, it takes like processing time, as I call it, mm -hmm. like to just literally process that, that long form stuff into the smaller things. And that's one thing, but then there's like, there's a point where you're like, it's too much per day and it's going to get overwhelming. So do you, do you feel like you guys have ever hit that point or that there is kind of like a, 
you know, non-optimal number of, of posts per day? I mean, yeah, I think, I think that exact pain point is what's spurred on all this conversation we just had before of like, <laughs> why are we creating? So do we need all this content? We have so like, we have so much, I can't possibly do I can't possibly get it all out there. And so, and I think one of the, one of the things that I'm starting to realize in terms of how to alleviate some of, some of that is to focus on the purpose of the content. So if you like, and really look at it and say like, okay, do you need, are you doubling up or are you trying like for our SEO posts? Like we used to post all that stuff also on social. And now it's like the goal of that is search. Like if somebody's trying to type that in and find that answer, they're not scrolling through on social and being like, oh, I also wanted to know how to do X, Y, and Z. Like, no, that's not, that's not going to be beneficial. So that wipes out a whole bunch of cruff from our, like, you know, demand gen side of it, if you will. Like, that's capture stuff. Like, I'm trying to use that to, like, capture demand that's already there. And so that frees up, frees up a lot in terms of that. But then, yeah, like, how much time are you spending on all of this either top of funnel or, like, other types of content where you're trying to pull people in? And if you looked at it and you could say, how much of that do I actually need? And you might look at it and again, say, well, I guess I only need three this month. And okay, then can I take those three pieces and cut those up each? Yeah, that's a little bit more manageable versus like, I think sometimes we don't get down to that granular spot. We're just creating, creating and pulling and grabbing and oh, we got more and more and more. And I got a content calendar that I got to fit to, but customers don't care about your content calendar. Right. Yeah. Or, or are aware of it. Yeah. No. No, nobody cares that you publish every Wednesday at 2 p.m. And, and are looking for your blog. I can't wait to see it. Like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. So to kind of recap, because you said a lot of good stuff in there, to kind of recap Google for capture, right? Like people that already have mm -hmm. the intent are already searching for the exact thing that your blog is about, right? Social is kind of different where, you know, you really don't have very many people searching for, for keywords. Like that's just mm -hmm. not how you use the platform, but it's more inspiration, scrolling, you know, whatever captures your attention. So you have to rely more on brand and copywriting to mm -hmm. kind of get people to consume that content. So you think about social more for your top of funnel content. Is that right? Yeah, I was going to say it was, it, it, again, it wasn't, it's not an original thought to me. I'm going to give full props to Andy Crestedina over at Orbit Media because this was something that I heard him say at a conference one time. It was, you know, there are two different types of people. There are searchers and there are scrollers. And those are two different types of people. And those are two different types of content that you have to create. And that was really eye-opening because I think, for a lot, for me, for a while, and probably a lot of content marketers are trying to do it all at once. You want to create a piece of content that's going to rank, but also, you know, be interesting on social. And those are really, really hard things to do. And if you can separate them, it makes it a lot easier to figure out like, okay, this is, if somebody does want to share this on social, awesome, but that's not the goal. Or if this post ends up ranking somewhere, amazing, but that's not the goal. Yeah. And well, and sometimes they're the same people, right? It's not like I only sure. use Google or yeah. I only use social, but I am using them for different purposes and mm -hmm. I'm probably looking for different answers, right? Even if it's around the same subject, like I'm either at a different point in my journey or like I just need a different type of format, right? And so depending on what type of person that you are, or at least what type of person you are in that situation, then either of those could be the right answer at like the right time. So, okay, cool. So, so I'm like sort of, sort of wrapping up here now, but I think this might be a good closer to kind of bring it all together. And it's also totally selfish because I am starting uh, a new job next week, you know, heading up content. And so I thought kind of a fun thing would be to ask you what you would do for your first like 30, 60, 90 days because it, it really is tricky, I think, for marketers, for all the reasons that you said of, we have, you know, some existing content, how, how do you go through and audit, um, and understand where you are, and what you can do with that content, versus creating new content programs. So yeah, so how, how would you think okay. through you know, starting your first day, or, or really your like first three months as a content marketing leader? Yeah, I think, yeah, because I've, I've been in TechSmith for over 10 years now. And so like, I've sort of evolved my roles and throughout doing a bunch of different stuff with content. And so, but I did take over the blog before I took over, you know, content at large. And so how I would start was to look at what's currently working. 
and, and come in and look at that company and say, okay, what do you have that's currently working? And then try to reverse engineer that. Why? What are the topics? You know, you probably got a few really good topics. And so I would say, okay, topic A, I'm going to try to either come up with some sort of cluster around topic A or topic B and try to come up with a cluster around that to start to at least see what I could do from that side and, and to grow that content. Because that's content your audience is clearly already saying they're interested in. And so, and, and after that, the, the key with that though, is then also understanding what we talked about with like making sure that you do have a, a through point to either some sort of conversion or, you know, a through point to revenue to understand like, is this actually working? Cause the last thing, I mean, the last thing I'm interested in is like vanity metrics and getting page hits. Like I could care less if I get a million page hits, if nobody converts off that. Right, it, it, so you it's, need to have an attribution model kind of in place, right? Of yep. uh, being able to track it back to customers rather than just traffic. So would that be that would be high on your priority? Yeah, I think. And so one of the one of the first things I did when I took over the blog was I built out a dashboard in uh, Google Studio, and I tied in GA and all the analytics into it. And I put out, I literally would send a screenshot to like leadership and say, here's the update on the blog. Here's the update on what's happening. Here's how the content's working. Here's how it's performing. And, you know, we would actually build out plans around that because <laughs> I don't want to uh, have to try to create content based around things that aren't going to work. And the more that I'm kind of in the weeds and understanding what's actually working, that could drive some actual decisions down the road and in some way, shape or form as far as things with product or things with market choice and where we're going after. And so, yeah, I think being able to actually see what's happening and say, okay, traffic's here, traffic's from these, you know, channels, are they up, are they down, having a real pulse on, on what's happening there, and then conversion rates as well and understanding like, okay, these are, these are the goals that I think are important is what I want to do actually having an impact. Because that's what it's going to come down to as like building a content team and trying to understand, it's all going to come back to like, well, how is this actually impacting the business? And thankfully- yeah. And thankfully with con some of it's, you know, some of it's brand and you just got that trust with it that it's working, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's not all performance-based, but with some of the stuff, it's absolutely can be performance-based. And when you show that it allows you to free up and, and get buy-in for other things that you also think are going to work. Okay. So this is great. So Google uh, data studio I'm familiar with. So that's a, by the way, like free tool for people to use by Google. It basically helps you to create reports. It pulls in data from like a number of different apps, mm -hmm. but uh, Google Analytics. And then do you use like Google Search Console Yep. as well? Yep. Uh, yep. Any other like apps that you pull into that kind of a report? Those are those are the main ones I would use. I mean, there's some rush things there. It depends on what tools you're going to do and try to pull that in. We typically would look at that data somewhere else. But yeah, I mean, and again, it's I still look at GA at a separate at a separate view and I still look at Search Console within Search Console and get that data. But it's just nice to have these things set up. So if anybody has like a quick question or as we go into planning, we can say, you know, which which blog should we update, you know, in the next 10 weeks? It's like, oh, scroll, scroll, scroll. And I can get a, a very fast, quick look at like, oh, traffic is down here, conversions down here, ding, 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 like red dot in, in, in the, the dashboard will give, give that to you versus you trying to hunt through like sheets and sheets and sheets of GA to try to figure that data out. Yeah. And, and usually they're just like, you know, three or four main metrics, like leading mm -hmm. metrics that the leadership or, you know, whoever you report to is going to care about, right? And so just being yep. able to have those things at the ready. And like you said, literally a screenshot that you that you can send them. Okay, so, okay, so you would, you know, set up, set up a reporting attribution. And then you also talked about performance, like getting, you know, performance content channels going before so that you can earn the right to kind of do maybe more of like the brand or long term content. So what kinds of content do you consider? And I, this like, varies de depending on the business so mm -hmm. you can just talk to how it works for TechSmith but you know what kinds of things do you think of as performance channels versus you know more brand or long-term channels yeah I mean for us at, at its most simple it's like SEO is like a super easy performer because there's like things I can actually look to give you data on an attribute so I can say like this post ranks for these keywords and gets this month's traffic and converts at this rate so those yeah. are very easy things that I can actually pull data on versus like, 
I launched this podcast episode, you know, X amount of people listen to it, but I got this amazing comment, <laughs> you know, right. harder to prove that. yeah, like harder to prove that sort of stuff out. But yeah. And, and I think different companies are going to have different challenges with what they're trying to do. You know, some companies are going to be able to crush on brand and they're, it's going to be maybe a struggle to do the SEO side. Other companies are going to cr could crush SEO and going to struggle on brand. And so it's not like you have to do performance to prove out brand. You might be able to do brand to the, while you're trying to build up the performance side over here as well. It's not, it doesn't have to be that cookie cutter. Yeah. Well, and, and one thing that's kind of interesting about podcasting and the webinars is the people that you invite on as guests. That's pretty easy to like to track on the back end too. Like I've been surprised like seeing people that are invited on as guests or that have attended, you know, that we can see them like come through as customers. And so mm -hmm. like, oh, like, I like they were just on the show, right? It, they actually can be pretty easy to track that way. You can't bank on, you know, mm -hmm. that that's not the point of it, right? And to re reach like more people. But that has been kind of like a nice side effect that I've seen like from those channels and that are pretty easy to, to track. And then the other one, so social, like, have you found like social to be easy, hard in the middle to track? How do you feel about that as a performance channel? So I, I personally don't love like organic, organic social, I'll say as a performance channel. When I started, I, we really tried to like hook that in and figure that out because that was my background was like performance SEO, like I said, but organic social is just such a different animal and it's, and it's getting, it's changing all the time. So for instance, you know, if you would have said organic social six years ago, Facebook would have been amazing and you would have been able to get tons of play there and it would have been awesome. Well, fast forward to now, it's kind of a dead zone unless you're going to pay money to do it. And so like, that's where it's, and then it becomes really, really hard because then the question is, okay, do I want to pay to get somebody to click on my blog post? It's like, I, I don't know. I don't know that answer. Yeah. It could, it could be yes, but it also could be wasting money. If, if there's no, you know, again, especially if it's just like they click, they read and they bounce like, uh, okay. And so it's, I don't, I don't love it as a performance channel. I love it as a brand building channel. I love it as top of awareness funnel and then helping like nurture and, and on the customer education side. So I like, I love social for like people who are already customers, like being able to interact, reach out to them, help them. We do, we do a great job with that on our social team of, you know, that's a whole other ball of wax outside of the content content marketing side of social, but like the interaction with customers and interaction and giving them support, help and all that type of stuff that comes with social on the organic side, because they're not, you know, people are going to find your Twitter handle, your company Twitter handle, if they have a question and they'll re just reach out to the company. You know what I mean? It's a lot faster than putting in a support ticket a lot of times. And so that's, those are the spots where I see social being really, really effective is like, you know, using our shows, using our podcast, getting that content out and, and letting either people who aren't aware of our products know that we're here to help them, but then also people who are definitely fully aware of our products and in there, help them get better. That's, that's yeah. our goal. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's a good way to think about it too. Cause it's really, it's impossible to like, to completely, to completely measure it. And it's, it's like you said, scrollers versus searchers, right? Like you can't treat them exactly the same. Like you can have the same, same content, but it's, uh, a different consumption, right? Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so going back to, to 306090 to kind of recap, so you're gonna make sure that we have attribution in place, right? To be able to make decisions and like track that, track everything and have that data. You're gonna make some sort of report and that could be in Data Studio, that could be somewhere else, but you're gonna make some sort of like report so you have a better kind of like at a glance view of it both for yourself but then also for the leadership team and maybe for your own team too mm -hmm. so that you can easily show which things are effective and also like just get people excited about what you're doing because that's going to help you when you do need to launch new uh, programs and like maybe new channels right and so yeah the reporting helps with all of that is there a way that you capture that that qualitative data when someone does have you know, just like something positive to say, whether it's an email or a comment, are you keeping those for your reports as well? We do keep those for reports. We also have, I mean, for us internally, we have uh, a Slack channel that's just dedicated to that kind of stuff. So if we, if anybody across our 
team sees something, we'll throw it in there and just say, hey, just so you guys know, we got feedback on the podcast or hey, just so you know, we got really good feedback on this webinar and here's what somebody actually said about it. And those things go a long way because not then it's stick in your brain of like, oh man, that webinar. So like the next time we want to like say, should we do a webinar? It's like, yes, we should because I remember that awesome comment. But yeah, as far as like being able to share that out with the team, that's also a very, very key thing that I would say. And it's something I'm super passionate about is like, yeah, it's it's cool to share that out with leadership and obviously get buy-in from from them and even, you know, leadership within the marketing department. But within my own team to get them rallied around the idea of like what's going to work because everybody wants to like drive towards something that's actually going to work. You know what I yeah. mean? And so like the more context that you can provide your team of what's working and why and how, like that has been so eye-opening for me. The more that I can give my team, you know, I don't want to silo the, all that information into my brain and try to get that out. The more that they know it and the more that they can have those conversations with other people in the department and other people in the company as well, that's great because then they understand why it is that we're trying to do what we're trying to do. And they're going to create better content. They're going to try to look at the things in a different way. We've all at some point in our careers probably been just thrown over something like do the thing, like write this blog post and like, but why? Like, what's the goal? Like who do I don't get it. And so like getting your team on board as to like the why behind what you're actually trying to do and the tactics you're trying to do has been super, super key. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I think like we have a similar channel and we use it for similar purposes, but having, yeah, something dedicated to content wins, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that just the whole team can just feel good about what you're doing, right? And like about their individual contribution too. like as somebody who started as an uh, at an agency where, you know, I'm creating content um, and maybe the, the client is excited about it, but oftentimes you didn't see what happened to it after right. that like after time like that can like weigh on you and because you crave like what little data you do get back mm-hmm. and so that was actually one of the reasons that i like moved into in-house because i was like i need to see it all the way through so that i can get better <laughs> like it's 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 hard to get better when you're not seeing the right. results of each of the things that you're doing and so so anyway so, so i can see that from from both standpoints internal and with leadership but then internal with your team too and growing that way so, so you're doing all of that and just making sure that you can measure everything, right? But then you're also, you're looking at what's working and then you are adding maybe clusters around that or just expanding on that topic, whether that's search or social. So those are some other things that you're doing. Anything else in like the first 90 days that you would make sure that you're doing? Like, are you talking to customers or like, who are you talking to to make sure that you um, are coming up, you know, with new content ideas or that you understand what type of content to create? Yeah, I think definitely talking to customers is key. Talking to other people within the org is key. So understanding like from a sales perspective, like what do they care about? What content do they need? What, you know, from us on like a customer ed side, like how can we collaborate and work together? So understanding how you can collaborate around content is is also important because I think one of the other, you know, one of the, we haven't touched on it, but one of the other things that's super key is like, Nobody, nobody cares that your tech support team wrote one thing and your content writer wrote another thing and your sales leader wrote another thing. They just know that your company wrote a thing and they're looking for help. And so I think like that's another really eye-opening thing is like the more that you can get aligned and, and there's like everything's content. So like a support article is content, a YouTube video is content, you know, a tutorial video on your software is content. And all of those things add up to being useful for potential users and current users. And so I think making sure all of those things are aligned and just having those people talking to each other is so, so key. Yeah, I know that that, I was kind of laughing there because it reminded me of another post I think that you did that was kind of like, how do you, how you see your content and how your customers yeah. see your content. And it's really like in our minds, it's like very organized and like this goes here and this is totally different than that. But then for a customer, it's the exact opposite. It's like, this is just like a bunch of content from yeah, mm-hmm. XYZ company. And yeah, they, they don't see it as as siloed or, or, or necessarily organized. And they shouldn't have to like think through how to find that content, right? And like how to like, it should just be obvious, like where to look for, for what they need. And so okay. I, I kind of think that if they're not thinking about that, that is a good thing because it should just be like a seamless user experience. But 
internally, like there should be like a lot of like organization around that right. and, and why behind it. And so the last thing I think I want to touch on just with this whole 30, 60, 90 days is with talking to customers and with talking to the sales team, I think like the big light bulb for me was like objections, like everything goes back to like the customer objections. And if you can fit that into your content or even make content around like a specific objection, then that's really, that's really helpful because ultimately you're trying to sell a, a product or have like a business result. And so if you have, if all of your content is just top of funnel and is shying away from the product and is, is never, totally answering the question and is dancing around the question or it's not addressing what and thinking about what those follow-up questions are, mm-hmm. then it's not complete. Yeah. I mean, we, so I can actually tell you a pretty good example of that. So we make Snagit and Camtasia and they do very similar things. So they both can record their screen, but they can't both capture their screen. And one has an editor, full on editor. The other has a little bit of, you know, some video trimming stuff in it. And so it's like, which one do I need? You know, and that was a question we would get all the time. Which one do I need? And so what did we end up doing? We wrote a blog post, we made a video, we made a landing page, like we made all of it. And it was like trying to answer those questions and trying to figure out, okay, rather than dance around it and try to say like, well, we hope you can figure out what the differences are. Nope, we're going to just answer it, tell you exactly what, which one you'll need based on what you're trying to do. The answer might be one, the other, or both, depending on what you're trying to get done. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a very interesting point in terms of like, as content marketers, we are tend to be focused more like upper funnel, mid funnel. But if you're driving a bunch of traffic in and then not knowing what's happening afterward, like that's a bad place for a content marketer to be is to be bringing in traffic and not understanding what's happening. Yeah, no, I, I love that as just like a, a closer too, because that kind of just like wrapped up all <laughs> like the last hour of, of stuff that we just talked about what's working and what's not working and have parameters for what con- what constitutes as working and not working. And just to recap that for everyone, I think that's for for leading indicators for content. I think a lot of times it is traffic if we're looking at search or it is consumption. Like I love that as a leading indicator of, okay, they got there, right? Like we drove people there. Did they stay there, right? Like did they sign up for the download or for like the you know newsletter after that? So those are kind of, are they going deep into the content? And you can kind of look at that. But then also, are they going so deep that they become customers? Like, mm-hmm. or were they only ever, you know, looking for that education? What was the, and then what was the objection? What was the thing in the way? So, so again, like thinking about things full funnel and then, and then going from there when you are deciding what to do next. And I think having a really good understanding of, of the, of your customer and of your product and kind of like where, where those things intersect. And so what, you know, one thing that I'm learning and I can, say for the listeners here is where, where are they in awareness? You know, like, are you a commodity product? And there's nothing wrong with a commodity product, but I think you have to understand if you are right is, does your solution already exist? Are there other people selling, you know, a very like similar, similar solution? Like, or is this kind of like a very disruptive thing? Because that's, that's really going to affect your, how you're going to go about uh, content because so you can't create demand that's not there. You can't capture a demand that doesn't exist. And so yep. you might have to back up and and create that demand. And you might have to say, okay, this, you know, this person is problem aware. I think most people, if you solve a problem and you should, otherwise you probably shouldn't be at that company. You should, yeah, number one, make sure that your product solves a problem, but that might be where you start, right? Is like you, your customers are problem aware, but they're not solution aware. And so how do you get from, from that point to the next point so you can get them closer. And I think that for me has been like a really big turning point too of like, where are we now? And it again, goes back to your kind of like two-step program of like, yeah, where, where are they now? And like, how do we get them to next? So figure out where you are now and then figure out how to get them to next, right? Like figure out how to get them interested in in consuming more of your content and have some sort of call, call to action. I think you've said one time, like just not to shy away from call to actions. Like if you are providing useful information, like make that useful information easy um, to get to. And then, 
And then again, like it's it's a loop. So then go back to the audit. <laughs> like you, you should be okay. constantly auditing and constantly looking for ways to both refresh your content and repurpose your content. Ultimately, it just comes back to your your product, your solution, your company, and everything else is a distraction, right? Everything else you're going to have to like retrofit somehow to make it work anyways, different circumstances. So it's best to just, yeah, look at what, what you have, you already have going on. So, okay. So for this last part, just, yeah. Where can people reach you? Where can people find out more about you and about TechSmith? Yeah, you can absolutely find me on LinkedIn. I'm there uh, all the time hanging out. You can just find me at Justin Simon. And then for, as far as our content. So if you were interested in learning more about getting into video and understand video. We have a weekly video show where we talk about all things video. I'm going there from the sort of newbie perspective, but then we also have, you know, two guys, Andy and Matt, who have been doing video for a long time. and can help you actually get way better at doing video. That show is called Video Workflow, and you can find that at techsmith.com slash video workflow. And then our weekly podcast is The Visual Lounge. If you're interested in learning about doing images and videos better at work and for training and tutorials and all that type of stuff, you can check out The Visual Lounge as well. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much, Justin. This has been basically a, a masterclass for me uh, in how to, you know, go about, you know, a new job in content marketing, but then also just how to think differently about content, how, how to repurpose, refresh, rather than recreate the wheel every time, which is just not, not sustainable. <laughs> so thank you so much and hope we uh, talk soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Content Logistics. This episode is produced by Motion, a done-for-you B2B podcasting agency for busy marketers. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.